we are looking at Song of Songs, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Okay. Okay. Solomon's Song of Songs. She. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me to his chambers. Friends, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. She, how right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, will you graze your flock and will you rest your sheep at midday? Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Friends, if you do not know, most beautiful of women, Follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. He, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make your earrings of gold studded with silver. She, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Enkai. He, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. He, the beams of our house are cedars and our rafters are firs. As we're doing this series in Song of Songs, finding people to volunteer to do the readings has been a little bit challenging. Thank you, Lewis, for stepping up to the plate today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this bit of your word which opens up new views to us of how the Lord Jesus loves us. And we pray by your spirit you would open our eyes to that today, to not just see, but respond to him in joy and love. We pray in his name. Amen. So, I got tired of waiting, wondering if you were ever coming around. My faith in you was fading when I met you on the outskirts of town, and I said, Romeo, save me. I've been feeling so alone. I keep waiting for you, but you never come. Is this in my head? I don't know what to think. He knelt to the ground and pulled out a ring and said, key change. (laughs) Marry me, Juliet. You'll never have to be alone. I love you, and that's all I really know. I talk to your dad, go pick out a white dress. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. 
I considered, like, actually singing that to you, but you haven't done anything to deserve that. That's Taylor Swift's love story. Let me retell you the love story we've just had read by Lewis, which is somewhat similar to Taylor Swift's love story. We find the woman uncertain of herself. In her, in her case, the woman in Song of Songs, because she has been treated badly by her family. She's often looked at and gossiped about. The damage done by other people to her is clear in the way that she is. That's all in chapter one. And she's also longing for her lover, who is the most perfect person. He's the ruler of the place where she lives. Everything about him is impressive and honourable, but he's also a kind and gentle shepherd. And her friends, in verse 8, say, listen, he's over there, follow the path, you can find him. But she's uncertain, wondering, is this in my head? I don't know what to think. And when he turns and sees her, his eyes light up with delight. And he says to her, the way you are, the strength that you've grown through pain, that makes me drawn to you. Let me give you everything I have. Let me share everything I have with you to grow your beauty. She finds that even being near him moves her out of her deep concerns about herself and how she is perceived. As she loves him, his gentle, generous, other loving confidence spreads out from her to other people. Being near him is like an oasis in the desert and makes her a spring of water to other people. And he says in the end, don't just sit alongside me. Come and look me right in the eyes and let me see your beauty. And as she moves from the fear of being exposed and rejected through the scary moment of looking someone right in the face with love, she's drawn into singing his love song to her back to him. And when they come together, they bring life. Their life together is not two people blocking out the world. Their life, their confidence and assurance in each other brings life to the world. Honestly, Taylor Swift's love story is a copy of this one. Actually, all love stories are. But maybe you think it's sexist of me, a man, to be telling a story where a woman is restored by the love of a man. Well, it would be if this love story were just a romance like Taylor's. But as we read the love story I've just told you, in this book of the Bible, Song of Songs, I'm not claiming to be the man. The bride in that story is all of us, men or women, God's people, God's bride, and the perfect husband, the lover of our souls, who is calling us into this life-transforming relationship is Jesus. The Song of Songs is right in the middle of the Bible, and it is a love story, but it would be a very strange love story if it was about two normal people. We'll come to that in a minute. Some of the things they say are not things to write in a Valentine's card. And that's because it's here to show us that the intensity of sexual love that we feel, intense as it is, as it is, is only a signpost to the way we are loved by Jesus and to remind us that while being a Christian is having your sins forgiven and is living by the Spirit and is serving God, is all of those things, it is also a soul-satisfying, emotionally real, fulfilling communion with Jesus, who is the perfect groom. 
We're going to focus on the second half of that chapter today. And it comes in three scenes, this story. Here's scene one, he sees her. We looked at the start of the story last week, the longing of the bride, her disturbing backstory, the things that have been done to her, making others look down on her. And she's out there in the field looking for her groom. While being a king on a warrior, he's also out there looking after sheep. And she follows the path to find him. And there he turns and sees her and says, you look like a horse. (laughs) As I said, example of how most of Song of Songs you won't want to be borrowing as compliments. He says she is a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. In fact, it's more simple than that. He just says, you're like a company of horses. Now, I think that is interesting. The first thing he sees about her, though she feels broken and bringing nothing, and that by people's actions towards her, what he sees in her is what she is capable of doing. He sees her strength in finding him. She's been forced to work in the fields her whole life. She's darkened her skin. It's made her feel not beautiful. But he sees through that the strength that is formed in her, her persistence in following him. All she can see is her brokenness. What he sees is her strength in finding him. Now, this could just look like uh, some sort of weird, you know, farmer's thing. It's like, oh, good, she's very strong. She'll be able to help in the fields. We need a strapping lass to help with the lambing or whatever. No, it's not that, because he also is commenting on her beauty. Part of her strength is his beauty to her, and he honours this strength as beautiful. But in verse 11, he also says, you're worth so much, I'm going to use my great riches as the king to beautify you even more with what I can give you. Do you see the love story? Here is the person, unsure, feeling out of place and awkward in the world, abused, hurt, battered, not even knowing how to find the one who loves them. And when his gaze turns on you, what he sees is the strength it has taken you to find him. He is delighted to see you. He loves looking on you. He, the great king, is going to use all the wealth in his treasury to make you more than you are now. Okay, we can identify this story. Taylor Swift can, an uncertain woman being given confidence by the ring, the love of a good man. But this story is not a call to find a good man. Today, you may feel the looks of others and the things that have happened to you and how you think of yourself is holding you back. Maybe you're carrying some weight of suffering or of guilt. Maybe you're aware that you've drifted in here today, spiritually messy. But I guess if you're at church today, which you all are, that's because you want to find your way to Jesus. You're using an ancient path of gathering with other Christians to find him. And when Jesus turns on you and looks, his, put, turns his face on you, he loves your strength in getting here, in coming to him. 
in reaching out in faith in this broken mess and making your way to him. Coming to him because you feel weak, that is what he sees as strength. And he loves that. The strength to admit you need love. There is a story, it's maybe my favourite record of Jesus that we have in Mark's Gospel in chapter 5. When there is a woman who has been bleeding her whole life, which was a grim physical condition, especially in a hot country, but for her it meant she was viewed as unclean by her community. And she creeps up and she touches Jesus' cloak in a crowded place and she's healed immediately. And in that crowded place, Jesus insists on finding her and pulling her out in front of everyone. Now, if you didn't know Jesus, you might think there's some trouble coming here. How dare she, this unclean woman, touch this respected rabbi, use him for his power and then run away? How dare she? Is that what they were all thinking? That's why he's looking for her, so he can shame her. And she's drawn out in front of everybody, trembling with fear. And this is what Jesus says to her. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Why is he pulling her out? To commend her strength. To make her a model of this, uh, in this community where she's always been unclean and cast out. He draws her right into the middle to make a model of how we all should be. Living in faith. I think he could have said to her, getting past your fear to touch me, you're like one of Pharaoh's chariot horses. What strength. Jesus honours the strength it takes to find him. He is delighted in our beauty and he loves to see us. I think we're probably used to thinking like, you know, Jesus loves us because we might be useful to him. Clear up your life. So you can do good things for God. That's not the tone of Song of Songs. It's that he loves you. He finds us, his church, and you individually. He finds you delightful to relate to. It's just what he likes. And everything he has, all of his riches, all of his wisdom, all of his kindness, all of his endless love for us, They are given to us when we trust him to form our lives to be beautiful like him. Through the Holy Spirit, that gift from Jesus, his love, the Bible says, is poured into our hearts. There are such riches of knowing we are loved by Jesus. It it beautifies us. It overflows to the world. These endless resources of love poured into our hearts. The full resources of that great king committed to our beauty. I don't know what fight you had to get through to get here today. A hailstorm, actually, for some people, I think. Or what battles you face to pray. Or what push it takes to get you to approach Jesus. But when you do it, Jesus loves that in you. He delights to see you. You are beautiful to him. And listen, even if you come weak and stumbling like that clueless woman who just needed help, 
All of his resources are at your disposal to take everything that is bad and wrong and bitter and bad in your life and make it gracious and righteous and hope-filled and good. He's that kind of husband. Now, when you pick up the Bible or you close your eyes in prayer or you join in public worship, in your head, in your heart, what do you think is happening? For many of us, at worst, I guess, we might be thinking, God doesn't really want to see me. Why would he? Maybe you're past that, but you think, oh, really, God must be disappointed. I'm not doing this more. You know, it's good that I've read the Bible today, but he's probably a bit miffed that I didn't do it yesterday. Or maybe you're beyond that, and it's just something you do. It's boring but necessary spiritual discipline. (laughs) You're confident. I've achieved true beauty already by doing this. Listen, when you come to Jesus, he loves the strength that has taken you to come to him for help. He is delighted to relate to you. And this great bridegroom has more love yet to pour into our hearts all the resources of his treasury to make you beautiful. That's scene one. He sees her. Here's scene two. She sits at his table. She's close to him now. He's offered his love, but there's no intimacy between them as yet. Verse 12, she's sitting at his table. She's welcomed into his family. Um, And she says this weird thing. When we sit at the table together, when I'm just sitting at the table, the banqueting hall, the royal table, it makes me smell nice. Okay, again, strange picture. Now, there's all sorts of suggestions about what is going on here. Basically, it's possible to read nearly everything in Song of Songs as an innuendo if you want to. And that's what, if you read books about Song of Songs, they do. They're like, oh, right, she's sitting at his table. Uh, We're not there yet in the story, although we'll get there, but you can hold your breath for that. No, it's supposed to be strange, this. There is something about this relationship with this king that even being present with him makes her spread perfume around the place. It's an awkward reading. Thank you, Lewis. It was interesting hearing like a man's Wigan accent talking about her breasts and the sachet of perfume and the myrrh between them. But what she's saying is this. When you're welcome to the king's family, when you're sitting at his table, when you're growing to love him, to hold him near your heart in a deeply personal place, that means the fragrance, the the grace and generosity that comes from him begins to sort of come out from you. Now, think about human marriages for a minute. In really good marriages, you can actually see this happen. By good marriages, I don't mean like happy coincidences where the people get on. I mean marriages where people work to love each other. Everyone brings their own insecurities and struggles and dysfunctions to relationships. But if they have chosen to marry someone who will put them first and they trust and love, the strengths of the other person begin to change them. Perhaps where they used to create an atmosphere of anxiety and stress, being loved well by someone calm and trusting means they begin to spread the fragrance of being calm and trusting. 
or just to take an example totally at random, if you're a deeply pessimistic and negative person and you're really loved by someone more hopeful and optimistic, you begin to spread that fragrance instead. If you hold them near your heart, their perfume spreads even from you. Just to be clear, we're not just talking about admiration here. It's not just like, well, I really admire my wife. She's so optimistic, and so I will become more optimistic too. It's not functional like that. It's that you love that about that person. And you're deeply intimate with them in your heart. Then their perfume will spread from you. That is a guide here to earthly marriage, if you want one. But whether you're here and you're married or not, you are called into this type of love with Jesus. We sit here at his table. If when we trust him, we are welcomed and included in his family. But the call is more than that. The call is to hold love for him in the most intimate, most personal place, beneath your clothes, touching your chest, close to your heart. If you do that, what Jesus is like will come from you. You may have met people like that in life. Meet a Christian, sometimes a Christian who's been through terrible things, but something that's just like Jesus comes off them. There are so many echoes, so many smells of his perfect character from then. If that happens, you can bet your bottom for that person has a deep, committed, intimate walk with Jesus. They love him. They hold him near their heart. They have let him into the deepest, most private places in their life. What happens? His perfume spreads from them. I've got a friend who used to help to lead a mission organisation. And he said for a while, I ran that thing like it was a military operation. Everybody knew what they were supposed to do. And if they didn't do it, there was trouble. And he went on a, a break, a sabbatical, and he said during that time he rediscovered Jesus' love for him. That Jesus is not essentially a commander, but is an essentially a husband. And he went back after his break and met one of the people he'd been supervising before, and he said, we followed the, the meeting. And at the end, the person in the meeting said, this just feels different. It sort of smells different. Being with you is not the same way it was before. That's what happens when you hold Jesus close to your heart. To be clear, this isn't a means to an end. This is not a talk that's like, let's all be better at spreading the fragrance of Jesus, everyone, so we need to love him more. No, these are like henna blossoms, she says, from En Gedi. Henna blossoms smell nice, and En Gedi was an oasis in the desert. And she says being with him is just pleasant. It's just energizing. It's just like drinking water. It is possible to come to church, particularly a church like ours, where we can be a bit task-driven and think, I ought to be better at spreading the fragrance of Jesus. That wouldn't be a bad thing to think. But it misses the point. Holding Jesus close to your heart will do that. But the invitation is to know 
and experience the refreshment of Jesus in your self. That is what will change your fragrance. You know, lots of us, I think, come to church feeling overwhelmed and weary and tired of it all. We're told in our culture the response to that should be uh, hide. One of my least favourite cultural phrases of the moment, self-care. It's just shorthand for selfishness. You know, block everybody else out and just do what you want to do. Then, then the things that we actually do when we're supposedly self-caring, they're not actually refreshing at all. Scrolling, Netflixing. I don't feel refreshed when I've done that. And so what we put out into the world is stress and the need of affirmation from people and frustration. And Song of Songs just invites you to come and be refreshed. Sitting at Jesus' table, admiring him, is like an oasis in the desert. I've told this story before at church, so forgive me if you've heard it before. I was at ministry in a mission organisation. I was like that person just described, grumpy, frustrated, not seeing much progress. And I remember speaking to a senior person in the organisation and saying, could you give me a few tips so I can do the job better, please? And he looked me in the eye and said, I sense you're feeling a lot of frustration and anger and um, bitterness, really, about what you're doing. Is that right? And I was like, yes, you understand, so tell me what to do differently. And he said to me, how much time do you spend worshipping Jesus? Now, at the time, I was like, great, you know, thanks. Go to someone for advice. And they'd say that to you. But he absolutely got the problem plot. Worshipping Jesus is refreshing. Holding him close to your heart is what changes your perfume. There's no strategy beyond that. Scene three, lastly, she looks into his face. In the next scene, you see verse 15, he's moved right up close to her in her face and says to her, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Now, whatever's in the image of doves, I don't know. But definitely what he is saying to her is, lift your eyes and look into my face. I want you to look straight at me. Don't hide. Eye contact is intimidating, isn't it? Now I feel very, like, sort of paranoid about who I'm looking at. Uh, eye contact is intimidating when people do it. It requires trust. You know when you sit opposite someone and you're talking to them, to sit and look straight into their eyes when you're speaking? There's something scary about that, especially if the person you think is likely to be aggressive or unhelpful or angry with you. But Jesus says, lift your eyes and look straight at me. I find your eyes beautiful. Look, look in my face. And you see, she is called in verse 16 from talking about him, admiring him, to intimate loving words with him. And then she starts to talk about going to bed together, which tends to be how these things go. More on that next week, whether that makes you want to attend or not. It's up to you. Notice what she says back to him is saying back what he has said to her. It's almost exactly the same. All of this might be quite new to many of us, I would guess. Some of us might be sitting here thinking... I can't imagine, actually, having this deeply emotional, experiential encounter with Jesus, the bridegroom of the church. I'm intimidated by the thought, actually, it's been a little bit awkward sitting here having it talked about. 
If that's you, but verse 15, first let him love you. Him. When he says he finds you, he finds us, this ragtag group of messed up people, beautiful. He wants to be with us. He wants us to look fully in his face. He doesn't want us to hide anything from him. Look in his eyes. Let him love you. And what will happen, like the bride in the story, is the intimate worship of him will come out of you back to him. And even, like the woman in the story, a desire for an even more intense encounter with him will grow. We're being pushed here. We're being stretched a little bit, I think. Because of the people we tend to be, because of our religious background or the culture we're in or what we're doing when we're not here, we want to do the Christian life like a business. Make me a list. I'll get it done. But Jesus is not in the habit, clearly, of saying, you're getting it wrong, so go away. So if you've been doing it like a business, well, Jesus is not saying, go and sort out your act, and then you can come back. Do you notice? He loves your strength in coming to him at all. There's not a hint of anything except delight at his people coming to him. He honours your coming to him however you've come, even if it's been in a business-like way. But the Christian life as a business is not really relating to Jesus as he truly is. He is a bridegroom calling us to love, asking you into a relationship of soul-satisfying communion with him. You know, yes, that will change your fragrance, but he's not running a perfume business. The aim here isn't to get more perfume of Jesus out there. He wants a marriage. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know where to start. How do you begin? encountering and engaging with Jesus like this. Well, do whatever it takes to really let the truth of how he loves you enter your mind and heart. Use the ancient paths like the friends describe. Just time, asking for the Spirit to assure you. Get other Christians to pray that for you. Every time they say, what should I pray for? You don't say, pray for my exam or... Pray for my mum. Say, pray that I will know how much I am loved by Jesus. What you'll find is that your love for him is awakened. He is saying to you, to us today, how beautiful you are. Look me in the face. 